Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome, Nationals fans, to our first late night edition of the Dogcast, the first of many in the coming weeks. I'm your host, Blake Finney, and were the Nationals playing tomorrow, I think I'd be the only man in the bullpen. Joining me this week is our Dunkin' Donuts field site expert, Ron Juckett. How are you doing today, Ron? <laughs> I'm fine. And no, this is maybe the first one that you've done, but uh, I did several last year after one in the morning. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm a, well, formerly British-based Nats fan, so I'm well-equipped for staying up well past midnight. Anyway, I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. The the game put a bit of a dampener on after it looked like we might get a sweep, but uh, we'll talk about that in a second. So first off, we're going to recap the Met series that's just happened. So obviously we had the big 8-6 comeback win on Monday, which kind of feels like a potential turning point in the season. Uh, we had a comfortable 5-2 win on Tuesday, and then obviously the um, the pit of misery tonight that uh, unfurled in the eighth inning. So I was looking at stars of the series and there were quite a few good performances and not great, which I guess is good to see. Uh, But for me, it was Trey Turner, who was uh, five for 13, I believe. I'm not sure if my stats are fully up to date with the last couple innings. Uh, He had three runs and two stolen bases. So he was making for the table setter that we all expect and are looking forward to for the rest of his career. So did you have a particular star of the series, Ron? Well, I think tonight, you know, Ryan Zimmerman, two two home runs and a triple. I, I would go with um, – and Tanner Rohr pitched well, too. For, for the series, you know, I think pretty much it was a collective team effort. Uh, you can take a lot of positives from Pedro Severino. Uh, I mean, how can you go wrong with Bryce Harper hitting the broken bat opposite field home run? On Monday, so yeah, it's all it's all downhill from there. Where even with yeah, two wins, can't... it's all downhill from a broken bat home run. <laughs> right. So you know, I I you know, I thought it was an overall good team effort, and I'm with you. I really think it was a, a season saving series, despite what happened on a Wednesday night tonight. Yeah, I think uh, me and Ricky were talking about it, and it felt the Nats. Couldn't afford to get swept at all. Losing 2-1 wasn't great, but yeah, 2-1. And I think the way they lost tonight isn't as disheartening as it might seem at first, given the situation with the bullpen. Uh, well, but yeah. Oh. Well, someone, I think it was, you know, someone said that, look, no major league bullpen is equipped to go with continuous one-run, two-run games. You're just going to burn them out. Add the fact that you have a rookie manager who doesn't know who to trust yet, and these things are going to happen. It's unfortunate, but but they will happen. Um, you wanted that sweep; it would have made it. I believe the lead would have been down to three. But uh, you know, you take two out of three, and you're in your five back, and you and you're going off to play a team that's not playing very well. 
Yeah, I think if you'd have offered Nats fans a 2-1 series win before Monday's game, everyone would have taken it. Without question. Without question. No, you know, it's as hard as that eighth inning was to watch, I still feel very positive about the whole series. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've got to talk about the elephant in the room. So, obviously, in the eighth inning, the Nats were 4-2 up. Ryan Madsen came in with a 4-2 lead on his third day of work, and then he just couldn't get out of it. They brought in Sammy Solis, walked in a run, and then AJ Cole gave up the grand slam. So, I have to ask, what did you make of David Martinez's actual decision-making to go with Madsen? Uh... I want to know where Sean Kelly was, to be honest. I mean, Kelly should have been warming for that inning. Um, Madsen had pitched – I, I live-treated the game. At one point, he had thrown 101 pitches over five days. I mean, that's the equivalent of a start. Um, I, I wasn't thrilled with how that went down. Um, I know that he was reluctant to use Sammy Solis because Solis doesn't pitch all that well in back-to-back situations, and he walked two. He faced two batters, and he walked them both. Um, and as someone said to me during the game when Cole came in, well, now you're waving the white flag. Um, they need to bring Trevor Gott back up, I would think. I, I really think this is probably the end of the line for A.J. Cole, don't you? I, I, he got the win on Monday in that crazy 8-6 game, but this week he he pitched twice, gave up a grand slam, a regular homer, and a triple. Yeah, I think I, I tweeted out not long before we came on air saying – this has to be the time to DFA him. You're not doing anyone any favors by keeping him. You're, even if you keep him as a long man, the long man has to be able to work efficiently, give up maybe one or two over a few innings. But every time AJ Cole goes out there, you feel like he's going to give up several. So this is the time to DFA him. And if he doesn't sneak through waivers, then someone else has to keep him on the major league roster and good luck to them. I've always been under the... Uh, thinking that is the, his problems are between his ears. I mean, they pretty much handed him the fifth starting position in spring training, and he almost pitched himself out of it. You know, that's one of the reasons why they brought in Jeremy Hellickson I, late in spring training was to, okay, we realize this isn't going to work. And his first time out, he got lit up. And then he got the second start, which people were hollering about. Then he pitched well, but he knew at that point it was over. Uh, maybe a change of scenery is what he needs. His ceiling, Blake, has never been very high anyway. You know, I, I think at best he's a fourth starter, more than likely a fifth. But right now, he's not a major league level player. No, absolutely not. I think there's the raw stuff is still kind of there, but we saw today you can't be putting low 90s fastballs up in the zone to Cespedes who dispatched it. So... Maybe if you can get in the AAA, there's something to work with. But again, I don't think it's a big loss if you can't. So I think my my thoughts on Madsen, going back to what we were talking about, mm-hmm. personally, like you say, I would have put Kelly in. I think in that situation, you do have to trust your kind of middle leverage guys. So he's, Kelly isn't one of the innings eaters like Grace or Cole so far to eat up when you're losing. He's one of those middle guys. And you have to trust him if if Madsen's on two days. But I can see where he was coming from with Madsen with an off day tomorrow. If you're going to pitch him three days in a row, now is the time to do it. But I guess it just didn't work out. I think this is more 
on the starters for not going deep the last couple of days, more so well, than Martinez. Well, you know, I, you know, I, it's the first real big mistake I think Martinez has made. He, with nobody on base, he needs three outs. Okay, Kelly's home run prone. So you kind of hope if he makes a mistake, it's a solo shot, makes it four to three. And that gives you options for the – if Kelly can get you through the inning, it gives you options. He could have tried Cole for the save, which I'm not sure that I would have done. You might have run Doolittle out there because of what you said, Blake. Look, you have the off day. Go out there and try to get the save. Or maybe Matson at that point. But you're just – I mean, Ryan Matson's 37 and has under – Already undergone one Tommy John surgery. You're just playing with fire. Yeah, I think it it was a point of emphasis as well before the season. Right, we want to keep Doolittle and Madsen healthy throughout the year, and working Madsen three days in a row is definitely not going to help that. But you know, at one point, you know, what else do you do? Yeah, it was uh, uh, it was a difficult because Kinsler had pitched two in a row too, and they just sent Trevor Gott down to get Hellickson up, who he would have been the ideal man for that eighth inning, I feel like. Hellickson? No, uh, Trevor Gott. Trevor Gott, yeah. You would have used Gott in that situation. But then again, you know, if you're going to – I'm going to pass along. I'm going to break some news here. Uh, this is from Buster Olney. Atlanta Braves hitter Freddie Freeman was hit on the wrist by a pitch and did not bother to wait for the trainer to come out. He walked off the field and presumably headed for examination and possible x-rays. He missed 44 games last season after being hit by a pitch in the same general area. That's, wow. That's, that could be huge. And um, yeah. they're, they're still holding off on Ronald Acuna, maybe. Maybe they hold off on him a bit longer, make sure, kind of make sure he's ready. And if Freddie Freeman's down, that, that turns a pesky Braves into, are they going to be, juggling about with the Marlins at the bottom of the division. Absolutely. To get back to your point, though, I mean, if you're not, if you're not going to trust Kelly, why is he there? Hmm. You, you know, I mean, because starters only go, that 100 pitch limit kicks in the fifth or the sixth inning, Major League bullpens, no bullpen is equipped to be successful night after night if you have to get 10, 11, 12 outs. I mean, hmm. Rourke did yeoman's work to only give to put them in a situation where they only need, needed six outs to to win the game. You couldn't use Kinsler. Kinsler had pitched in five straight. So you know, it's, it's a tough learning thing for for Martinez. But but I really think that this really was. It's a mistake. It's not a fatal mistake. I mean, it kind of adds up because the team is nine and ten. But but you if you're going to have seven in the pen, they need to be people you can trust. And if he's not, yeah, if he can't, I, you know he can't trust Cole. But if he can't trust Kelly, then what's he doing here? Yeah, I feel like it's the first, like you say, it's not fatal, but it's the first noticeable mistake that Martinez has had, I feel like. Which, for a brand new manager, isn't the worst thing in the world. He's got to learn at some point. Right. You know, it's April 18th. I'd much rather have him make that mistake now than in September when you're trying to fight either for the division or trying to climb back into a playoff race. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so before we look ahead to the Dodgers series, I want to 
Uh, give a special shout out to the Syracuse Chiefs on their seven inning no hitter. They had four pitchers combine uh, for their no hitter against the Indianapolis Indians. Not related to Cleveland, they're actually the Pittsburgh Pirates affiliate. It was Syracuse's first no hitter in nearly 18 years. So Austin Voss, David Goforth, with probably the greatest minor league, minor league name in the national system, Tim Collins and Austin Adams all combined for the no hitter. So I think that was a great. Uh, a great moment in the week for the Nationals organization. I don't know if you saw anything about that, Ron. Yeah, I did. That's pretty good. Hopefully, there was some talk with whether Navos got hurt. I mean, that's a lot of pitchers, and it's only a seven-inning game. But uh, still, that's quite the accomplishment. Yeah, we're always on no – we're used to being on no-hitter watch with Max Scherzer, so it was nice for some of the <laughs> some of the minor league guys to get one under their belt. Uh so now we look ahead to the Dodgers series. So far, they're seven and nine. They're third in the NL West behind Arizona and Colorado. And looking at some of their stats, they seem a bit middle of the road so far this season. But I guess last season, they had that same kind of feel until they went on their ridiculous run over the summer. So in their last series against the Padres, they won 10-3 on Monday. Hyunjin Ryu, who the Nats are going to see this series through a gem, Matt Kemp and Yasmani Grandal hit big home runs. They also won 7-3 on Tuesday in 12 innings. Yasmani Grandal coming up the hero. And they've just started their finale at 10 o'clock. And the plan was to give you a score update because I've got it on my TV, but MLB TV has a commercial break in progress. So <laughs> <laughs> never plan these things. Um, so what do you make of the start of the Dodgers season? Why have they started so slow, do you feel like? Well, because they're not getting a lot of offense from Corey Seager in his 57 OPS plus. Uh, Yasiel Puig is always a mixed bag. He runs hot and cold. And uh, Chris Taylor has three homers, but is hitting 211. Um, this team has played a lot of baseball the last couple of years. And you always wonder, when you lose a game seven of a World Series, is there an after effect? You know, how long do you go through the offseason dwelling on what should have happened. I mean, the Dodgers lost game seven at home. Um, Rich Hill hit the disabled list. Uh, but there's, Alex Wood has kind of struggled. He's 0-2 with an ERA under four, but his FIP is, is 1.83. And, of course, then again, you know, Kenley Jansen has had an atrocious season, an ERA of 8-10 and a whip of 1.650. I mean, if you can't close out games, as we saw tonight with Washington, you aren't going to go very far in modern baseball. Yeah, it's it's definitely felt like they haven't got out of first gear. They feel like they should be doing better. Like you say, Alex Wood, probably one of the better players, one of the better pitchers in the major leagues last season. And to have an ERA of nearly four, despite that low fifth, is a bit of a, a bit of a shock. But I guess from, from their point of view, they have had contributions from, other sources. So Matt Kemp is hitting 333 so far this season. Grandal 347. Chase Utley hitting 333 as well. So while their stars are still getting up to speed, they they are getting other contributions. And those are players that when they got, I mean, Grandal was talked about as possibly tradable this offseason. And Matt Kemp is turning into a little orphan Annie. You know, he came back to the Dodgers, but no one expected anything from him. And along with Utley, they're the top three in, 
in their offense. I mean, Grandall's OPS coming into to tonight is 1041. Yeah, I think the, they traded for Kemp out of some salary saving move to, and they were just going to cut him, but then out of nowhere he started hitting in spring training, so they've kept him on and he's repaid the pay. Six extra base hits, 10 RBI, he scored six times, and, you know, has an OPS of 980. Yeah, he's definitely going to be one to watch this series, which, like you mm-hmm. said, no one would have expected. Um, is there anyone from the Nationals that you're particularly looking forward to seeing in L.A.? Well, at least they want to wear snowsuits this series. I, <laughs> I want to... I want to see if uh, Zimmerman can carry through what he did this weekend, uh, this week in New York on through. I mean, anytime you have Scherzer and Strasburg, one of those will face uh, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, those, I mean, those are the ones that you just kind of drool over as possible matchups. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, how the Dodgers pitch to Bryce Harper, especially if Zimmerman's hitting behind him. And I think Eaton is supposed to be back by Friday. And so that's a if if that happens, that's a huge boost for the Nats offense. Yeah, I think the the word is Anthony Rendon may be back on Friday, given the off day and the fact that they haven't put him on the DL yet kind of speaks volumes that they think he's nearly there. And we should probably see him again if Eaton comes off the DL. But I think one player I'm looking forward to seeing is Moises Sierra because he's really taken the ball by the horns in this the Mets series just gone. He was uh, four for eight, just getting tonight's up-to-date stats. Um, and he got a key RBI tonight. So with a couple lefties on the hill, I feel like he might be back in the lineup and starting in left field. Yeah, I think, you know, he hangs on in the bench. Um, but, yeah, and you want to see it. You know, he has major league experience. He's not a new player. He's not young and knows what he has to do. And as you said, he, he did well when they needed him this week. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think, like you say, the experience comes into hand, and they obviously trust him. They were batting him fifth in the lineup the last two games. So it's not like he's just there to make up the numbers for the Nationals. The Braves, uh, going back to the only, with the Freeman news, the Mets go down to Atlanta, where the Mets play the Braves this weekend. So that, that's not what you want to see. No. Uh, From, and I guess the, the last Nationals player that I've got on my players to watch is, again, with the two lefties, are we going to see Pedro Severino play a couple of games this series, do you think? Again, he's been really impressive the last week. He's he, He's been red hot, and Weeders has battled a couple injury issues. Nothing that's going to put him on the disabled list. Um, why not ride the hot hand? You know, save Weeders for for when he's healthy, and see what Severino can do. I mean, Severino's had an excellent series, and by gosh, he has so much fun when he plays. You know, he pounces around the plate like he's a cat. <laughs> Yeah, I've loved seeing him absolutely fired up after some big moments in the series. But you wonder whether he's forcing the Nationals' hands and kind of making this a straight platoon. Because I think Wheat is a better average hitter left-handed. Um, so it may be the case that Severino starts against lefties and Wheat starts against righties. You don't want to lose Wheaters 
regularly in the lineup because he catches so well. He knows those pitchers so well. They trust him. Gio Gonzalez raves about him. But Severino is improving. Um, yeah, I think, so yeah I, I think you're right. Yeah, Max Scherzer was raving about Severino when Scherzer threw a gem against the, the Rockies. So I think Severino is definitely getting better. And we've noticed it behind the plate as well. If one, uh, one thing that stood out defensively was him gunning down Cabrera. Whether Cabrera should have been running or not, it's another matter. But the fact he got blocked down, fired it over the third base and threw him out, that really caught my attention. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so now we're going to look at each of the matchups individually in the Dodgers series. So first up, we've got Max Scherzer against the most traded player in MLB history, player to be named later. Uh, it was originally Rich DL, Rich DL, Rich Hill. Maybe. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. But uh, he's gone on the DL with a finger injury. So that's Friday at 10 past 10 Eastern. So it's going to be a late one on the East Coast. Uh, this is the game that I'm actually going to out in LA. Just to sneak that in there. Um, so my inkling, this is completely uh, educational guessing, but I would suspect it's going to be Clayton Kershaw we see on Friday. So we're going to have a mouthwatering matchup between Scherzer and Kershaw. And then the Dodgers call up someone on Saturday or go go for a Ray-style bullpen game. So Clayton Kershaw would be on normal rest on Friday. So what do you make of that matchup kind of with either possibility? So either with Clayton Kershaw or a minor league call-up or a long man. You'll be... Uh... Highly disappointed there are no Dunkin' Donuts on the West Coast. Um, just putting it out there. Um, boy, whoever Kershaw faces this weekend, you know, th- those are the matchups that you dream of. And, and more often than not, they turn into 11-9 slugfest or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think Scherzer, his last, I mean, that both of them have pitched so well. Even Kershaw, I, Kershaw's stats are incredible this year, but we're not sure that, that he's human. Uh, if it is Kershaw and, and Scherzer, it's going to be a quick ball game. Scherzer's going to go deep. Kershaw will go deep, and it comes down to uh, who, who can make the other team make, make the mistake first. And uh, I like the way that the Nats are coming into the series, despite the loss tonight. Um, because they take so many pitches and can and get you off your game. And because they're so willing to use a small ball, you never know when they're going to try to manufacture a run. So even with that matchup, if it is Kershaw versus Scherzer on Friday, I, I, Scherzer just, he's such a gamer. I just have a hard time ever betting against Scherzer. Yeah, but you, you have a hard time betting against Clayton Kershaw, right? If that is sure. the matchup, I think it's going to be it's going to be one for the ages. They've owned, I looked out. They've only faced each other twice before. Once was in 2008, back in Max Scherzer's Arizona days, and the other was the NLDS in 2016. So, having the last two or the last three NL Cy Young awards on display in this this potential matchup, I keep saying saying it like I'm like I know it's going to happen, but. Um, I do think it's going to go that way. And, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to being in the building. But um, I think in terms of a prediction, I have the Dodgers just edging it. 
I think some of their um, some of their players see Max Scherzer quite well. So Puig's four for five in his career against Scherzer. Kemp hits three eighteen against him. So I think Kershaw might just have the edge over um, over the Nationals. Overall, we're not going to see the big Nats killer that the Dodgers have in Justin Turner. No, he's. Uh, I think he's out till June, thankfully. Yeah, with a, so, with a broken wrist. Yeah, I think one uh, one other stat is uh, the Nationals' one-man team to some effect. Bryce Harper is just two for twenty-three against Kershaw, which could play huge in that game. Now Kershaw is not going to be afraid afraid to throw strikes. He's not going to sit there and and you know nibble around to see if to wait to see what Zimmerman can do. I mean, he's going to, you know, Kershaw's going to attack from the get-go. Or he'll throw, throw the curveball that no one knows whether it's a strike or not. Right. <laughs> um, so, in the second matchup, we have Steven Strasburg. At the moment, again, scheduled to face Clayton Kershaw now, but my inkling is that they'll call up Walker Bueller, their top prospect. He's the number 12 prospect in all of baseball. Uh, he last pitched on Monday, so pitching on Saturday would be regular rest for him. That's at 10 past 9 or 9.10 p.m., trying to say the time the American way. Um, so it looks like Strasburg against Bueller or either Ross Stripling or Wilma Font, who have been the Dodgers' long bullpen men. So how do you see this one going again in either scenario? Uh, 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 Strasburg versus Johnny Holstaff? Yeah, yeah, I, I like the Dodgers' chances there. <laughs> uh, the other big advantage that the pitchers are going to have, regardless of who goes, is that that game starts in the in the twilight. It's the six it's the six ten start out in Los Angeles, so you'll be having some shadows. Could be depending on where they are. Could be benefit. Could hurt the fielders and help the pitchers, because um, Dodger Stadium plays very differently from night games to day games. The ball doesn't carry as well at night as it does during the day. Um, uh, Strasburg has pitched very well this year um, and pitched well when he needed to against the Mets. I don't see any signs of that changing. So I think if it's if it's Kershaw and Strasburg, I'd give the edge to Kershaw. But if it's Strasburg versus the chicken stripper Johnny Holstaff, um, I'm definitely favoring DC there. Yeah, again, it's again, it's difficult to make make a prediction, but I think one of the telling factors is Steven Strasburg is a Cali boy. He grew up in San Diego, obviously. We all know about the Tony Gwynn connection. Um, he also does quite well against the Dodgers. He's two and two with a 2.44 ERA in seven career starts, and he has 17 strikeouts in 13 innings at Dodger Stadium. So. I think even if it is Kershaw, he's going to give him a, a run for his money. But again, if it's Bueller or Johnny Holstaff, then I think, again, you you have to favor the Nets. There's no way you can't in that game. Mm-hmm. So finally, we have the Nationals' second Sunday night baseball, hopefully with less eight-ball references from Alex Rodriguez, now with, uh, without Michael Conforto in the game. But we have Jeremy Hellickson scheduled to face off against Hyunjin Ryu. Jeremy Hellickson looked, oh, I felt he looked okay against the Mets. He gave up a lot of hits, but managed to restrict the damage. So what are you expecting out of Jeremy Hellickson in this start? I thought he was solid 
you know, I was surprised when I looked at the box score and he'd given up so many hits. Um, you know, he located his pitches well. He got you into the fifth or sixth inning, which is what you're looking for for a five starter. He's not as good as Ryu, though. Um, you know, I would think if there was one game where the Dodgers have a clear favorite out of the three, it would be the Sunday nighter. Um, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious to see what Hellickson can do a second time out. Um, but you know, I was impressed for the role that he was trying to fill. Um, but I, you know, I kind of get the sense that this might be like an Edwin Jackson type here. You're going to get, you know, a handful of very good starts and a couple of clunkers thrown in there that makes you wonder why they signed him to begin with. Um, but again, it's a late afternoon start in Los Angeles because of the time difference. I mean, it's it's a 508 first pitch out there. Um, but but yeah, I would think that if there was one game of the three that the Dodgers should win, it would be that. Yeah, I, like you say, I was impressed enough. Like you say, there were there were the hits, and I think it carries over from last season where he was quite hittable. But for a number five starter, if you look up there, he was four and two thirds. If you say that's five and he gives up two runs, that's okay for a five star. He keeps you in the game. Yeah. Um, and he could probably do, probably do with a stuttering offense against Dodgers rather than the Mets' red hot offense who have a number of lefty power bats in there. So perhaps facing the Dodgers could do him good. Yes. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I'm eager to see what he can do the second time out. I was impressed enough the first time that. I was finally sold on the move. Yeah. yeah, I think, again, it's one where out of a number five star, you've done pretty well. Obviously, you're not trying to rely on him as the ace of the staff like the Phillies tried to do for a couple of years. But for right. the Nationals as a number five, I like him. But going back to Hyunjin Ryu, who we probably haven't talked about enough, he's he's looked pretty good this season. He threw a gem against the Padres on Monday. He's... 2-0 and with a 2.87 ERA so far this season. And I think he had a spell in the bullpen last season, which for someone that I've been quite impressed with whenever we've seen him pitch, it seems a bit bizarre. So what do you make of Ryu? From what little I've seen of him, I've been impressed. Um, yeah, I think he's had some health issues, I think. Um, but just looking at his numbers before coming out with you tonight, I I mean, him, him and Kershaw have both pitched very, very well. Um, you know, he's still a relatively young man. You know, like I said, I, I think that, that if there's the one, one game that the Dodgers are a clear favorite on it, it's with him. And that's not a knock on Helixson. I think it's just a, of, of where Ryu's talent is. Yeah, and from what I recall of Ryu, he – he was more of a control pitcher, but then you look at his last couple of starts, he struck out 17 over 12 innings, so impressive. Mm-hmm. So, again, you, met, you mentioned your prediction that you think the Dodgers will win. I actually have the Nats edging this one and taking a 2-1 series win. Like I said, I, I was impressed with Helixson, and I think it will be a close game. I have it 5-4 to four Nationals, so it will be quite close, assuming the bullpen has recovered by then. Well, that's a good thing. I mean, they had the off day. When you hear this, for most of you, will be the off day, and then you have Scherzer going on Friday, so they will have a time, chance to recover. Um, but it just made for a very rough series against the Mets to have, you know, Kessler pitch five straight games and 
And Matson is just at the point in his, in his career where even back to back, you kind of cringe and, and he should never have been put in a situation where he should have pitched where, where he pitched three games in a row. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopefully the, the off day, I think there's another one coming in a couple weeks as well. So hopefully the combination of that, and maybe they will bring Trevor got back up to give it another fresh arm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that wraps up our Dodgers preview. Uh, we're going to get on to some listener questions now. So uh, we have a couple from one of our contributors, Ross Schimberg, and he asked the totally serious question of over under two and a half days on the bullpen getting DFA. <laughs> over. <laughs> That's optimistic. Uh, if you let some of Nationals Twitter in charge of, um, in charge of the roster moves, it would definitely be under. <laughs> Um, well, let, let me kind of give a semi-serious answer to that. I mean, you can't treat you can't treat rosters like fantasy. I mean, you, can, you just can't drop them like that. People have bad days; they get overused. This will get figured out. I mean, this was the same pen that did a Houdini act to win the game on Tuesday when the Mets kept putting runners on and and they couldn't score. You know, just one bad game does not a season make. So, kind of spinning off from that, what have you made of the bullpen as a whole so far? I worry about their usage or overusage. You know, I think Martinez has done a good job in trying to get the right matchups in and now overuse the starters. But uh, some someone said on Twitter before we got – before we went on the air, the offense has to do more to take the pressure off. If you're coming in here in high leverage situations from the sixth inning on, you're going to burn out. And that's what happened in the Mets series. Um, I, he, they don't have seven people they can trust. He mm-hmm. has to be able to use more than just the law firm to do it. If you're not going to use Sean Kelly, then what's he here for? Um, you know, I think we both agree that Trevor Guide is probably going to come up. At one point last week, Blake, uh, Matt Grace was on pace to pitch in 108 games this year. Yeah, that was ridiculous. I think, you know, yeah, I agree. If you have a if you have a seven man bullpen in that situation with the bullpen guest, you've got to have six guys who you can put in there. Obviously, you want to reserve your long man if that's AJ Cole, so be it. And you preserve him for a longer appearance. But the other guys in that situation, you have to trust them. And that means Kelly, Grace, maybe less so Solis, like you say, back-to-back days. I think the other thing is sometimes you've got to let these guys in the middle innings work too. Solis can work too. Grace can work too. So that might take the pressure off. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's an inexact science in a, in a game that's full of numbers. You just you just can't always pull it off. You know, I give him credit for trying. He tried for, you know, Martinez tried for the win, but it came back to bite him. The other thing is that no pitcher is going to sit there and say, well, can you go today? No, I can't go today. That's never going to happen. 
And I'm sure that that conversation was there. Do you think you can give me an inning tonight? Sure, I can. And now he'll know that he can't do that. But but overall, you know, I I don't worry about the bullpen as far as who's most of all who's down there. What I do worry about is, you know, what can what how much work can you get from Geo and Tanner? to make sure that when you get to the fifth starter in the rotation, that the pen is reasonably fresh for those games that you know you're going to have to get 12 outs from. Yeah, it's, it's potentially another learning experience to give his starters a bit more, bit more rope. Mm-hmm. Um, so on to Ross's actual serious question, and he talks about one of the uh, impressive players of this series, Moises Sierra, and can he make a permanent bid for a utility role on the Nats 25-man roster? I don't think so. I think that once players start to come back healthy, you know, Goodwin is probably one of the best fourth outfielders in baseball. Um, remember, your your bench is really short, especially with a seven-man bullpen. There's only – if you're carrying 12 – pitchers you only have 13 13 batters and so on a five-man bench you know who's going to go you know Depot's going to be there Kendrick's going to be there Goodwin's going to be there uh it's either Weeders or or Severino so that's the four spot you know I, I would much rather have on the I doubt it is what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a straight fight between him and Goodwin. Like you say, you can't you can't drop your backup catcher, you can't drop Matt Adams, you can't drop Harry Kendrick. So that's then that's three of those players. And then if you go for a five man bench, you have Defoe plus uh, Sierra you or Goodwin. You can't drop Goodwin. Goodwin actually no. wouldn't doesn't have an option left. Um. But Goodwin is is one of is a utility player who can play all three outfield positions. And mm-hmm. Eaton, remember, I believe before he got hurt, and only play a one complete game. So mm-hmm. Goodwin is going to get a fair amount of time playing, either as a defensive replacement or or the occasional start for in the outfield. So, you know, as impressive as I've been with Sierra, you know, on a healthy Nats team, he he's not on the twenty five. Yeah, I think I, I agree. Like I say, it's it's a straight fight, and I think Goodwin's got the heavy handicap in that fight. So, yeah, absolutely. So the last question that we've got is, we've probably touched on it before, from Peter Friedman, is this the end of AJ Cole's Nats career? Obviously, uh, he had a 12 ERA coming into tonight, and he managed to raise it, which is never a good sign. So do you think this is the end? Yes, I do. I hate ragging on players. I understand that uh, that our words kind of hurt after a while. And, uh, you know, I, I think Cole has really struggled with some of those issues. But to me, he cannot handle – he's terrible in pressure situations. And, it, you know, he said, I'll help the team in any way that I can. And then the two relief situations that he was put into – and four pitches Monday night against the Mets, he gave up a homer and a triple. And the first batter he faced on Wednesday night is a grand slam. You just, 
they don't have the, I mean at nine and ten record and five games out of first place, this is not a situation where you can just kind of feel your way through until you get hot again. He doesn't have that kind of rope that Ryan Zimmerman has. Um, yeah, I, I I just it's just a bad situation, and you know if this had happened at home, they might actually boo. I mean, the social media response tonight to Cole was harsh, but it's mm. deserved to a degree. Yeah, I, yeah. I think they, I think they, they did the right thing. They, right they tried to make him a, a long man potentially. We've mentioned it before, where he does quite well the first time through the first t- two times through the order, but obviously that hasn't been the case so far this season. So they're probably doing the right thing, and I think it is. It's the end for this season. He may come back up to eat some innings right at the end, but I can't see him being there in any more meaningful games this season. Um, you, still have Ed, you still have Edwin Jackson. You have Eric Fetty, uh, Voth, who threw the you know, combined no-hitter. I mean, there's other options down on the farm, hmm. depending on what they want to do, especially if something happens to Hellickson. Fetty isn't doing the bullpen thing again. Tommy Malone had a good spring. He's pitched reasonably well for Syracuse. I mean, th- there's just too many other options. Hmm. Um, and kind of on a related question, who would you then have as your long man, if one at all? Would you stretch Matt Grace back out again? I don't think they can afford to have a long man. You know, I, I, it'd be nice to have someone who could go two innings, but at this point, you need people who can who can guarantee you that you can keep you competitive with three outs. And so they can't be – this bullpen is going to get burnt. And so, no, I think if you're going to have a seven-man pen, they need people who can pitch you seven innings. You need seven innings out of that pen potentially if it goes extra innings um, and to give other people some space you can't be having the law firm going three days in a row and Solis is pretty shaky on back-to-back work. You you just need that depth. I mean, a long man is a luxury that that no team uses. Hmm. Yeah, I think I can I can see them getting Grace up to pitching potentially two innings at a time just to get some work because someone will have to pitch when they do go behind me get right. them through the game without using the high leverage guy. You know, I think Solis can do it too, depending on how quick it is. I mean, if you're talking about a hard 30 pitch limit for a reliever, that can potentially get you through two innings or certainly, you know, four or five outs. Um, but, I, you know, I think that's the big shortfall that's come through is that they need people who can get you. It's more important to get the three outs than right now it is the six, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And then uh, couple that with potentially a little bit better bullpen management and hopefully we get less nights like tonight. He'll learn. He'll learn. I mean, people will get up and warm and that will slow down. He'll know who he can trust. You know, once he knows the middle part of the rotation better, Gio and Tanner and Derek Lilliquist, you know, the pitching coach, once they're all on the same page, that should get better. That should get yeah. better. You know, right now it's a case of, look, I can look at pure stats and say that so-and-so is, has, a, has a 300 batting average the third time through the lineup, and I don't want to do that as much 
as little as possible. But once they actually get comfortable in seeing what pitchers do and, and how they work through um, pitches 75 through 100, or maybe pitch 105, then maybe you trust them a little bit more to get that out. It's also tougher mm-hmm. in the National League because the pitcher's bad. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you saw that tonight. The Mets got away with it, pulling Stephen Matz after a, a good three innings. He pitched four just so they could try to get back in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we definitely saw that with the Mets overusing their bullpen as well. Right. Um, so I think that should wrap us up for today. I want to say thanks to Ron for joining me late on a midweek night. Um, so where can our listeners find you if they don't know already? I'm pretty sure most of them do. Well, gosh, districtondeck.com is where you should go to read all the stuff that we do. <laughs> and, of course, you know, follow follow me on Twitter, at Ron Jucket, and, of course, the, the, the site at District on Deck, Facebook at District on Deck, and, of course, Blake Finney at Finney Blake on Twitter. Isn't that nice? Um, so, yeah, as, as Ron mentioned, on the on the website this week, we've got Drew analyzing Andrew Stevenson's value to the team. So he's been recently recalled. Uh, I remember writing an article on him in spring training. He looked uh, the ball was coming a lot better off the bat of him. So Drew looks at that. Uh and perhaps some deja vu back to 2015. Ron might be able to uh, elaborate on this. But Brian looked at fixing Ryan Zimmerman, who then obviously go yard, goes yard twice tonight for the triple. So I think in 2015, we had a story covering Zimmerman's slump, and to which he once again responded by breaking out. Uh, the, that's the two I wrote in 2017, and you broke out uh, both times. That would be the one. <laughs> So but, whenever yeah. you need Ryan Zimmerman to break out, ask us to write a story on him. Probably so. <laughs> so again, as Ron, as Ron mentioned, follow us on Twitter at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. Uh, follow us on Blog Talk Radio. You get an email every time we're about to go live. Uh, subscribe on iTunes where you'll get our episodes automatically downloaded for you. Uh, unfortunately, I say unfortunately in air quotes, I'm off to LA and San Francisco for the Nats games over the next week. So I'll be leaving you in the very capable hands of Ron for the next few episodes. You looking forward to it on your own? Well, without me. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to you coming back too, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm very grateful for letting you let well, letting you letting me enjoy myself. The whole point. <laughs> uh So once again, thanks for tuning in, and Ron, we'll see you Sunday. Talk to you Sunday. Good night.